0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 136, Dividends or
1: Market Dips.
0: So glad to have you with me today. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you along for the journey. Uh, My name is Mark Willis, host of this show, and uh, along for the ride with you as well. You know, I kind of feel like I'm speaking into the future when I record these episodes. You might know that we do a few at a time, so I'm recording this back in February, and it's already April. So happy April. I hope it's nice and warm wherever you are. Uh, and if you're awake and watching the stock market uh, now, I don't know what's going on in the future. I wish I did. We'd all be, uh, you know, here at Lake Growth Financial Services. If we knew the future, uh, we'd all be on a beach somewhere, I guess. Uh, but if you're awake and watching the stock market now, or I- over any period of time, you know that volatility is the name of the game. That's the name of the game. That rocky, rolling roller coaster that we call the stock market is moving more and more into uncharted territory. I mean, the average financial pundits, the stock jockeys, your investment advisor, they're all saying that the market over time will always produce, right? It's always going up over time. Just hold on, just hold on to that roller coaster. Don't look over the edge, don't look over your 401k's portfolio, whatever you do, just enjoy that roller coaster ride. Unfortunately, there's no guarantee that that stock market will always go up. Just look at other examples, right? You know, the Japanese stock market, for example, On December 29th, 1989, you got to go all the way back to 1989, the Nikkei stock average closed at a record high, just a penny or two short, or yen, I guess, a yen of two short of uh, 38,915. And then it fell and it never came back. 30 years later, Japanese markets languish 39% below its all-time high. 30 years. I mean, that's that's crazy. That's quite a roller coaster ride, and in the West, the U.S. stock market roller coaster is more. It could be more of a mudslide or a downward spiral uh, as we go down a drain. Right? There's no guarantee that the market's going to go up, and we're not just seeing your garden var- variety volatility in the markets anymore either. What some people are now calling this is one step beyond volatility. We call it turbulence. One step above volatility is turbulence in our world it involves the whole world and it doesn't seem to be going away causes like climate change you know causing food shortages massive immigration global viruses political and societal uh, partisanship technology-based employment disruption robots you know driving your car to work every day Uh, all these sort of black swans seem to be multiplying and having a field day in the markets so the question to me and to you maybe is do you think your 401k is the certain plan toward your financial future? How is GE stock doing? How long before IBM with a $9 billion deficit struggles to cover its pension obligations? I mean, what's your prognosis of Australia's economy this week? So for for more on whether or not you can really just buy and hold this market, go back and listen to episodes 51 and then also 52 and 53 with uh, Les Himmel. But episode 51 is explicitly looking at does buy and hold work? Does buy and hold work? My question to you is, if you knew that turbulence or even just garden variety volatility would continue, say for the next 30 years, would you do anything about it? Do you wanna keep your money? The Wall Street approach, of course, and unfortunately, is to see that continued turbulence on and on and on it goes. They want you to take that roller coaster ride with your life savings. You've got a ticket to ride, but will you ever find a way to get off? Uh, We have to take this ride of our lives. Our money has to live somewhere. But the question is, which financial ride would you rather take? That's the key question of our episode this week. Which financial ride would you rather take? And remember, no one likes roller coasters like they did when they were a kid. So please take a look at our show notes. There's gonna be a chart that I'm gonna discuss for a few moments in this episode. So, you know, Mark your moment here, pull over the car, whatever you gotta do. Swipe left, right, up, down, sideways to get to the show notes. This chart is really gonna visualize that ride with your money. And the ride that your money would have taken over the last 16 years. So what you're looking at as you look at this chart, uh, again in the show notes, which we'll include there, uh, is three different rides you could have taken with your money since 2004, all the way up through the end of 2018. It shows the S&P 500 index, total return. It shows the 10-year US Treasury, annual total return. And it also shows the dividend interest rate of one of the insurance companies that we work with quite regularly for bank on yourself type policies. Uh, We also lay next to all three of those rides, the overall consumer price index, which is basically the inflation rate or the cost of money going up each year. The game is to try to match or even beat that consumer price index number over time so that you're not losing ground due to inflation eating away at your money. Now, we like to say on our show that your money has to live somewhere. And where you put your money makes it do different things. So think of these numbers, again, on this chart in our show notes, and the returns on those like each year, right, like steps in a dance each number each year is like a step in the dance. Which dance partner would you rather have? So so what I look at when I look at this chart, and I'm looking at the S&P 500, in 2004 through 2006, it had a crazy awesome decent return, followed in 2007 by a modest 5% return. And then in 2008, we nosedived. We had a negative 37%, followed by a wild upswing of positive 26% in 2009. And once again, it falls dramatically down to 2% in 2011 and way back up to 32% by 2013, dropping once again all the way down to 1% in 2015 and up again in 2017. Finally, a negative return in 2018 of negative 5.2%. Wow, (laughs) almost almost exhausted just reading that. So the whipsaws in the market are clear to be sure, but who knows what it's gonna do next year. I mean, this is an erratic dance partner, if there ever was one, even worse than maybe I was at my high school prom. But what if you put your money into safe assets like U.S. Treasuries? Isn't that like the safest known asset in the universe? Well, yes, okay. Treasury bonds are considered safe on average financial uh, advice columns and blogs and podcasts. But this is, again, not your average financial podcast. And you're here to be uh, not average, but awesome. Now, Treasury notes and bonds are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury. So there's, you know, officially no risk and uh, no risk of default on these treasuries. This narrows the risk factor, but it also means the government bonds and bond funds are acutely sensitive to interest rates. So once again, the 10-year US Treasury note has some paltry returns in 2004 and 2005 and six, averaging just around 3% a year, So then it zips up to 20% in 2008. Remember, the S&P 500 was losing 37% that year, and many people were rushing to the safety of treasuries. And those who bought early on got great returns, a positive 20% in 2008 for for treasuries in the midst of the 2008 meltdown. That's pretty cool, right? But in 2009, we dropped just a free fall down to negative 9% losing money in, in, uh, in treasuries when the stock market was soaring that year. And we have more positive and negative years thereafter, but more modest than the stock market for sure. The 2014 US Treasury has done about 1% per year, not even keeping up with inflation. And in 2008, it only did 0.4%. So treasuries may be less volatile, but it's still very possible to lose money, even with the safest asset known to man, or at least the average man. But again, we're not here to be average, we're here to be awesome. And uh, while dividends are boring, they are awesome. So let's take a look at the dividend history of one of the insurance companies we deal with. Now the dividends uh, for this insurance company, this particular insurance company, again, going from 2004 to 2018, were 6.6%, 6.75%, 6.65, 6.7, 6.32, 5.6, 5.6, 5.6, 5.98, 6.09, 6.45. You get the picture. The massive drop in 2008 for the stock market, in 2009 for treasuries, the dividend rate for the insurance company barely flinched. The positive rate went from a positive 6.3% to a positive 5.6%. Said again, their profits continued at 5.6% even during the worst economic disaster since the Great Depression. They simply took about one half of 1% less profit than the year before. I mean, come on, that is awesome. All right, so their profits were back up again just two or three years later, one half of 1%. How would you like to have had your money drop in your profits not lose money, but just lose a little bit of profits by one half of 1% in 2008 and nine. I mean, many people I know would have given their shirt off their back to protect their money, not to mention get some gains in profits that year. So let me make this point very clear. There was no negative year in the dividends for the entire period of time from 2004 to 2018. And even during the great recession, they didn't lose money. They merely lowered their profits by half of 1%, from the previous year, they went from 6.3 to 5.6. And then they went back up to six and then 6.4 by 2013. I mean, if this is anything at all, it's a steady as she goes kind of financial strategy. It's one we can actually build a plan around since the predictability is so clear. How can we possibly build a plan around the returns of the stock market, bonds or treasuries? I mean, look at that chart and ask, ask yourself that question. Uh, If the stock market and the U.S. treasuries are like a jerking, erratic dance partner, then your dividend rates from your insurance companies we recommend for bank-on-yourself-type whole life policies might be more like a graceful prom date. If they're like a ride, then imagine an airplane in the clear skies getting more and more efficient every mile you fly, making that beeline directly to your destination. So this is important to remember. These numbers on this chart all of them, are not the same thing as your actual growth of your money each year. Your internal rate of return is gonna be different than the numbers on that chart. And for that, you can look at other episodes we've done on the topic, including episode six, episode 36, episode 111, um, but it's an important to remember that. So it is, however, a super clear trajectory of the insurance company's own portfolio profitability. In other words, the insurance company's business model Uh, is aimed around having slow and predictable and steady profits every single year, rather than just getting that quick win like you might have on Wall Street. And by the way, this is not dissimilar from how the stock market or treasury bond performance is, um, not the same thing as your actual performance. In other words, just because the stock market might've done 15% last year, doesn't mean your portfolio got 15% last year. This could be due to everything from fees to buying and selling stock at the wrong times or the wealth zapping strategy of dollar cost averaging. Again, it's the difference between the average returns and the real rate of return that truly counts. So how is it possible that you might not get the same results as the overall market? Uh, Well, we can use the fancy vocabulary word, which is, by the way, worth $2 at your next cocktail party, but let's break it down, all right? So the fancy word here is standard deviation. Standard deviation. Now, you can just think of standard deviation as being synonymous with that word volatility that we brought up earlier. That high standard deviation would be a wildly risky stock like Tesla or Beyond Meat, which has been going crazy the last few months. The standard deviation of zero would mean like an investment rate of return that never changes. It might be 5%, 6%, 5%, 6%, but it never really changes. It might be a bank account doing 0.1%, but it never really changes. It's not so much about the number as it is about the change in that number. That's what uh, volatility or standard deviation is talking about. So the S&P 500 index has a standard deviation of 15% over a 15-year period, 15%. So Vanguard's long-term US Treasury government bonds has an, with an average maturity of 20 years has a standard deviation of 11%. So if you took the entire data set of the insurance company dividends that we just looked at, again, on the chart in your show notes, you'd find the insurance company's dividend portfolio has a standard deviation of, wait for it, 0.38%. Rounding down, that's still 0%. Okay, wow, that's awesome. The average financial swampland of investment advice would tell you on the internet, uh, is going to regularly chide you for not putting all your money in that 15% wild fluctuating uh, stock market, right? They remind us with simple math magic, for example, uh, that here's, you know, here's the math to prove their point. You know, they say things like, quote, let's say you have $1,000 and you add a hundred bucks a month to your savings over the course of 35 years. At the end of your time, 35 years, you'd have a whopping $43,000 in your regular savings account. Not bad, but And here's where they continue. If you had invested that money and earned a 10% rate of return, there it is, uh, which is in line with average historical levels, you would have over $370,000. End quote. Of course, what the online articles and bloggers are trying to do is to get you to save more. And that's a good thing. All right. But You know, they usually also include fancy pretty charts with that nice J curve going from the bottom left hand to the top right hand showing that uninterrupted market bliss, that beautiful tranquility as your money just soars upward and higher higher and skyward into the future and into your golden years. But here's the dirty little secret. It's all a complete fallacy. Here's a quote from one of these run-of-the-mill articles that you can find in your newsfeed. And they say, quote, of course, investing is not risk-free. Typically, investors see some years where they earn double-digit returns and other years where they might experience a loss. Losses happen on average about one out of every four years and can be bad. Boy, what an understatement. During a bear market, which is when stocks fall by at least 20%, research shows that the market drops by an average of 30%, 30%. That condition typically lasts for about 13 months. That means if you invested $1,000 and the market lost 30%, your investment would be worth only $700. And it may take you more than 13 months to recover the $300 you lost, end quote. The importance of that statement is that losses destroy the power of compounding. Losses destroy the power of compounding. Let's assume an investor, for example, wants to compound their investments by 10% a year over a five-year period. The power of compounding only works when you do not lose money. Let me say that again. That's a key sentence there. The power of compounding only works when you do not lose money. Let's say, for example, the market gives you three straight years of exactly 10% returns. That's pretty cool. You know, that's not common. But uh, in the fourth year, a drawdown in the market of just 10% in the fourth year cuts your average annual compound growth rate by 50%, going from 10% down to 5% or cutting your money growth in half. And to make matters worse, it would then require a 30% return just to get back to that average return of 10% that you require. In reality, chasing returns is much less important to your long-term investment success than most people believe. So even Morgan Stanley, a popular uh, investment firm, says, on our estimates, quote, on our estimates, the expected return of a U.S. 60-40 portfolio of stocks and government bonds will return just 4.1 percent per year over the next decade close to the lowest expected return over the last 20 years and one that only one has been worse than 4% of observations since 1950 so it's volatility that really breaks the promise of the stock market it's volatility that breaks that promise and investors as well as investment advisors and even more you know at Morgan Stanley and other investment firms are not factoring in volatility in their overall projections. They simply show you on their nice prospectus that you're gonna get an average return of 10%, 15%, 35,000%, whatever. And that's a huge flaw in average financial planning. Which ride takes more fuel? Let me ask you that question again. Which ride would take more fuel? Imagine you've gotta leave your office and you gotta go do some stuff. Now, one option, one pathway home is the direct line home. You've got a a diagonal street that takes you right to your house, cutting through all the lights and everything, and you go straight home with no stops along the way. So that's one route. Which route takes more fuel? That beeline route straight to your house with no stops along the way or the route where you have to leave your office, head to the grocery store, then to the dry cleaners, then over to pick the kids across town up from their school and drive them back across town for their soccer practice, then, then back to school because they forgot their backpack, and then finally back home. Which way is more efficient, the B line or the zigzag? Well, of course, the efficient B line is better, right? So again, less standard deviation, less volatility will bring you the best kind of outcomes, the more predictable outcomes, than one that has to go up and down and sideways. You need a higher rate of return in the market to account for all that volatility. I'd rather a lower and steady return that I can count on than one that wildly fluctuates up and down and sideways. So what are some takeaways from this episode? Well, first of all, this is definitely an episode to see the show notes. So pause this episode now, swipe over, swipe down, whatever, to get to the show notes so you can see that chart we're talking about and ask yourself the question, which ride would I rather take? That's the first takeaway. Uh, Second reminder, the CPI, right? The inflation, that's over there on the far right column. That inflation does grow every year, even when the market tanks take a look at that CPI chart uh, line on the chart. Notice it's steady march upwards and onwards, constantly stealing money out of your pocket. Another takeaway might be to add up all of your savings, grab a calculator and multiply it by 0.03. So, you know, that is the safe portfolio withdrawal rate that most PhDs and economists and retirement experts tell you that you can safely take out of your investments as a income in retirement. So what's that mean? So like in retirement, if you have, let's say a million dollars, you could take out 30,000 bucks, 30,000 bucks off a million dollar portfolio. Could you live off $30,000? If not, it may be time to rethink how much you're saving and where to save it. Pull out that budget and review how you make some more money and how to cut down on spending too. So that's the content I wanted to cover. If you like this episode, let me know. Leave us a review. You can go to anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a five star review and take a screenshot of that. Send it to our email at hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com and we'll shout out to you and say thanks. Speaking of, Lady of Aloha did this. And uh, boy, what a cool username. She says, Amazing. I totally love this podcast. I feel like eyes and and mind have been finally opened. I'm looking forward to the advice and the knowledge that I can gain from this podcast and from people who are behind the knowledge. I'm excited to start a new financial path and will probably set up a meeting with Mark. I cannot believe that this type of information is being broken down and shared with the common person these days. This is the kind of information that rich people would keep to themselves. So bring on the access to the 3%, exclamation mark. Very cool, lady of aloha, and can't wait to meet you. So uh, guys, if you'd like to leave us that message, as mentioned, go to our uh, uh, website and you can click leave a review. And then if you'd like to leave us your actual voice, boy, I'd love that. And you can do that anytime up to April 19th, 2020 for this question of the month. What does a realistic budget look like? what does a realistic budget look like? If you go to speakpipe.com forward slash N-Y-A-F-P or just go to our show notes and click on the link, we'd be happy to get your voice as a part of an upcoming episode we're doing. So again, thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.